our own country, we see that indeed there is darkness and the world is racing to an end. Everything that happens in each of those circumstances is a sign that points to the end time. And for us Christians, we have hope that indeed no matter the circumstances that life will present to us, there is hope. We believe that irrespective of the circumstances happening, our God is in control. Because he has given us the assurance that he is in us. And he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And we should be of good cheer because he has done what? Overcome the world. And that is the confidence of the believer. The Christian who clinches to the cross of Christ knows that there is hope. And for us, what even makes it, you know, enjoyable is the fact that we don't go through these life circumstances alone. We have a God who suffers with us, who identifies with our weaknesses. In fact, he became man so that he'll be able to identify with our weakness and make a better intercession on our behalf. Because the scripture says that we do not have a high priest who is unable, it didn't say sympathize, but it says empathize with our weaknesses. And so irrespective of the darkness around us, he is in control. And when you look at what is happening around us, anytime you listen to the news, you, you hear issues, and we are all prone to those kind of lifestyle. Probably you have not been caught by it, or your cup has not yet been full, so you think that, we, we can escape from it. But it is just around us. And it has not come near our doorstep because of the grace of the Lord. But when you look at the circumstances happening, when you listen to the news every time, you see that the heart of man is desperately wicked. There are so many things in our country that need to be attended to. There are so many poor people. There are so many interventions that have been put in place. And sometimes you wonder whether we really care about the needs of the poor people. There are some people, you know, that some of these intervention programs, whether they have it or not, they will still live. But they have been called as trustees, as stewards of those resources. And they misappropriate them. The people who need to access these facilities don't get them. And it's interesting that we claim that for us as a nation, about 70% or 71% of us are Christians. And these are the people who are stewards of these resources. And so, at the end of the day, you ask yourself, what kind of Christians are in those places? What kind of light are they shining out there for people to see? What is really happening if indeed we are in the majority, it should play out in the way we live our lives, not just on Sundays. The light should shine for all to see, but it is not shining. And so the first thing we see is that it's a matter of the heart. Jeremiah 17:9, it says that the heart of man is what? Desperately wicked. And until the light of Christ transforms our heart, the situation will remain the same. And so, when you diagnose the, the, the state of affairs in our nation, you will realize that indeed 
there is darkness. But most importantly, it points to the fact that the end is near and at any time Christ will indeed appear. And he says that even now, the axe is already at the roots, ready to cut off any tree that is not bearing fruit. And so this morning, I want to explore how as believers we can shine forth the light of Christ in this dark world and to be hope for all to see. And basically, I'll be focusing on Matthew chapter 5. I'll look at the verse 14 to 16. But within that, I will explore what darkness really means. When we say darkness, what does it mean? And then we look at it in terms of how that word is used in the biblical context. And then also I will try to look at the various representations of light. When the Bible talks about light, what does that mean? Is it just something that radiates a certain kind of you know, presence, or it means something more. We will explore that. And then I would focus on three main points, which will be the thing I will be discussing. The three main things I will be focusing on. The first one is the fact that why believers don't shine the light of Christ wherever they find themselves. Why we do not shine. And then I would also explore the truths about the light. And draw some practical applications from it. Now darkness, in its simplest term, is the absence of light. But when we use the term in the biblical context, it means something more. It means sin. It means chaos. It means the absence of God. The absence of God is darkness. Because when you look at Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 60, and he's talking about God... He says that God is an everlasting light and there will be no night. In his presence there is no night. You don't need the sun or the moon. He is the light. And so the absence of God is darkness. So when the Bible uses darkness, it uses it in the figurative sense to mean sin, to mean chaos, to mean the absence of God. But light on the other hand, may simply be defined as the brightness that enables sight in darkness. Because without light, you cannot see. It is only when light comes that you see through the darkness. But what does it mean in the biblical context? First of all, it might mean the physical light. The first thing that was created by God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, was light. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And the scriptures say that, and God saw that the light that he has created was good. So it might mean the physical light. Because we are told that in the beginning, there was darkness. There was God, the spirit of God, hovered over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. That was the first greater sin. But within that context also, it might mean something spiritual. 
And here I would like to look a bit more into that. What does it mean when we say light? First of all, it may be used to refer to the life-transforming experience of conversion. The life-transforming experience of conversion. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says something beautiful there. He says, God said, for it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That life transformative power that God works in us through Christ is light. And we'll see the various places where Christ is referred to as light. And he himself claims that he is the light of the world. No religious leader, none of the founders of the world views that you know, claim to be the light of the world but Christ. But we also find that the scriptures often use light as a symbol of the saving presence of God in a fallen world. So in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14, it says that God has done what? He has qualified us and has redeemed us from the domain of darkness into what? Into his marvelous light. That is what he has done. So it tells you of the power, the redemptive power of Christ to redeem us from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, what are the various representations of light in the scriptures? First of all, light symbolizes God. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says that God is light. In him, there is no darkness. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. In Psalm 27, light is used, Psalm 27, verse 1, light is used as a symbol of salvation and new life. And then light is also associated with darkness. Light is associated with life, sorry, as darkness is associated with death. Light is associated with life, as darkness is associated with death. And so in Job chapter 33, verses 28 to 30, it talks about being rescued from the grave, from the pit of darkness into light. He mentions that so we see that life given power of light but light also is used to symbolize the mystery of divine presence the mystery of divine presence now when you read act chapter 9 the damascus experience of paul you are told about the fact that the light shone around him it blinded him those around him could not see or hear, but he heard what the Lord was telling him. So we see the divine presence of God being manifested in the form of light. In fact, in Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13 to 14, when the, when the temple was built and dedicated and they prayed, we are told that the Shekinah glory of the Lord came into the temple as a cloud. And the priests could not stand it. They had to give way. For the presence of the Lord. And in Exodus chapter 34, 
verse 29. When Moses had been in the presence of the Lord receiving the, the Ten Commandments, when he came down, when Aaron saw him, they saw that the skin of his face was radiating with light. So at the point he had to veil his face until the light faded. So being in that divine presence of God in itself brings forth light. But life in the New Testament also represents the sanctified life of the believer. And this one, I would want to read it. The sanctified life of the believer. I will be dwelling on those passages of scripture. And Lord, we want to look at Romans chapter 13, verses 12 to 14. And then we'll look at Ephesians 5, 8 and 9. Romans chapter 13 Verse 12 to 14. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies of drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and, and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It tells you of some of the things that light or light represent, and those who walk in the light, the manner of life that is expected of us. But what about Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 say, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. It says that, therefore, it says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, sorry. This is what it says. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Clearly, it defines light in the biblical context. What is expected? The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So when you negate it, everything that is negative to this is darkness. But he says, one time, that is our state. But now we are children of light, so we should bear fruits resembling what the Lord has called us to be. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, the calling of the Christian is to shine as light in the world. So these are the various representations of light as we have explored. And you will ask yourself, what then is the meaning of light in the context of the text that we have been given? And here we want to focus on Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. To 16. We want to pay attention to the text. Now, the context of what Jesus was talking about is very important. Now, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, those chapters is one sermon. They have been divided for our use. But he was speaking about one thing. And you realize that he wasn't speaking to unbelievers, he was speaking to believers. In fact, his targeted audience was not the crowd. 
It was the disciples. We are told actually that Jesus Christ moved to the mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he started teaching them. So everything that he begins to talk about from chapter 5, verse 1, going, he was teaching disciples. Those he had called to himself to be with him, to give them power to cast demons and to do the things that he is doing. And he called them apostles. Those are the people he begins to teach, not the crowd. It wasn't the crowd he was speaking to. It was the disciples. And he begins to teach them. He begins to reveal things to them. It is these people that he is talking to in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. So light, in the context of that passage that we are looking at in in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, is the good deeds of the believer. It is the life-transforming experience of our salvation in Christ, which must be made evident for all to see. It is the sanctified life of the believer which stands as a witness. Because when you begin to look at the life of these disciples, after they have been with Jesus, and I like the way Luke put it, he begins to recount, writing to someone called Theophilus in his gospel in Luke. And he begins by saying that others have done investigations about Christ and have said many things about him. But he is going to take the pain to give a chronological account of the events that happened in Christ's life. And so he begins to tell about Jesus Christ and what he did. But in Acts, there is something beautiful there. We begin to see the transformative power of Christ being manifested in their lives. Indeed, they did not even call themselves Christians. They didn't give the name to themselves. It was in Antioch, having observed the manner of life of the disciples, the way they did things, the way they preached and everything, they came to the conclusion that these people are Christians. Why? Because we can see Christ in them. According to Acts chapter 11 verse 26, and that is where they were first called Christians. They, never, they didn't call themselves Christians. In fact, in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, when they warned Peter and John not to preach in the name of Christ, and Peter stood before them and said, Who do you think we should obey? Is it you or God? That we should not preach in the name of Christ. We are told that when they took notice of the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that these were ignorant and learned men. But the distinction was that they had been with Jesus. Meaning that before, and you yourself know the story, they weren't bold. They were fishermen, ordinary men. Few of them were educated, but not all of them. But the majority of them were not. And when you look at the caliber of people that Jesus called to be his disciple, when you look at their profile, you would wonder whether they qualified. But Jesus picks up the things that the world does not esteem. 
and glorify himself through it. He confounds the wise. Those who think they are wise, they cannot see the light of the gospel. And he makes something new. And you see the life transformative power of Christ being made manifest in their life. And so we are told that when they took notice of the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they had been with who? With Christ. And so the distinctiveness of, of the believer is that there has to be something that is evident about your life. And so when the passage before us talks about you are the light of the world and all that, there is something that it is talking about. And I want us to pay attention to that. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 14, he says that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I mean, those of you who use the route to the Kitasi Road, you see some buildings up there. They are visible. They are not hidden. You can easily spot it. And some people have strategically built in certain locations that, you know, you can see. But he says, you are the light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Then he says, nor do people light lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Now this passage in itself has a certain missional focus. Light. When you light something here, it's for a purpose. Light dispels darkness. And everybody sees it. And he's saying that you believers, you my disciples, you people who have come to faith in me, are the light. Meaning that Christ is expecting that there is something about him that should be made evident for all to see. And we are light to the world. The world must see who we are in Christ. We are living testimonies of his handiworks. And we must sign for everybody to see. And that is what he is saying. And so he says that you have been put on a hill. You cannot be hidden. So we are believers. But the question is, are we really shining forth the light of Christ? Can we be seen wherever we are? And then he goes on. He says that in the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the reason why you are shining or you are to shine is not just for yourself. You are not the, you are not the object of interest. It's the glory of God. But what God does is that he even invites us to share in his glory. Because it wraps on us. But we are not. The focus is him. He is the one who is the focus. And so that is the context of the passage. So it is to us believers, we are supposed to shine forth the light of Christ for all to see. We are supposed to be light to unbelievers. We are supposed to let them see what Christ has done in our lives. Now there are reasons why as believers, we fail to shine forth the light of the gospel. And the first point I want to argue for is that many of us lack faith in Jesus Christ. 
What I mean by this is that we don't actually have faith in Christ at all. Meaning that you don't know him. Because if Christ is the source of light, and you are not connected to the source of light, what are you going to talk about? What have you experienced to even serve as the testimony to share to the world? What in your life has transformed, at least when you look at Acts chapter 22, verse 1 all the way to probably 21, when Paul is sharing his experience about how he came to faith, he's given his testimony. Three things are evident in that passage. His life before he met Christ, his encounter with Christ, and his life afterwards. In Acts chapter 26, when he was brought before Felix and Agrippa, he makes clear, he talks about the same thing, his manner of life before his encounter with Christ, his encounter with Christ, and his life afterwards. This must be evident in the life of every believer. And I say that you cannot defend or comment something you don't believe in. Many of us come to church as a social gathering. You know, we want to die and be buried, have a, have a nice burial, you know. And, and that kind of thought, I, 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 just, I just think that it's, it's self-defeating because eternity awaits you. Death is not the end of man's life. There is judgment afterwards. And you are only looking for a befitting barrier. And condemnation awaits you. And that kind of thought, when people have that kind of thinking and they come to church, but it does not transform. And so, they don't want to bother anybody. They don't want to be seen. They lack faith in Jesus Christ. And I tell you, if you don't have faith in Christ, if he's not your Lord and Savior, you cannot commend him to anyone. What you do not have, you cannot give. And indeed, he is the one doing the work in your life. And making people see how you have been transformed. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 it says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. If Christ is not set apart in your life, you cannot shine forth the light of the gospel. When you meet someone who is critical of the Christian faith and is asking you questions, you cannot defend it. If there is nothing at all, if there is nothing that the person believes, what about your own life? There has to be something that shows for your life. Because in the life of those early disciples, apostles of Christ, and every believer that came, there was something that changed. Look at the man with the legion of demons. When he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, when he has been freed from over 6,000 demons, the next thing he says is that, Lord, I want to follow you. He says, no, go and tell what the Lord has done for you. And we are told that he moved to the Decapolis, ten cities proclaiming the gospel for all to see. Look at the woman in John chapter 4 when she had an encounter with Christ. It was amazing, amazing experience. A woman listening to Jesus Christ in those contexts, the Jewish context. And she wasn't even a Jew, a Samaritan. And Jesus reveals himself to her. He says, you know, Jesus does not reveal himself to anybody. You see, even Simeon, 
the Holy Spirit had to reveal to him. Even Anna, who has been waiting for the promise of the Lord, the Holy Spirit had to reveal the, the Messiah to them. But this woman says that, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will say everything. He will teach us everything. He says, I am he. He doesn't do that to every... Look at it. It's interesting the caliber of people he chooses to reveal himself to. Not the Pharisees or the learned professors who are looking into the scriptures. Even they couldn't see. Even though the signs are clear. All the prophecies point to the fact that this is Christ. Still they could not believe. And yet he chooses. When he's even asked, that show me a sign. You know, he does so many things. And yet, for this woman, he chooses to reveal himself. He says, I am he. That Messiah you are talking about. He says, if you know the person who is talking to you, you wouldn't even ask of water. Because the water that I will give you, you will not thirst again. He speaks about deep things. And many of us are like that. We, have, we, are, we, are, we are not really believers. I don't know what message you heard. You see, it is not enough to tell people to come to Jesus and everything will be fine. It is not true. That is not the gospel. The gospel defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3 to 4 doesn't say come to Jesus and everything will be fine. It is the belief in the fact that Christ died. He was buried. He rose up again from the dead. And he lives. That is the gospel. In fact, the confession of faith of the believer, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Where? When you examine each of these passages, and even the messages that the apostles preach, none of them says that come to Jesus and everything will be fine. It is not true. God gives us the peace of mind. He gives us bread. He gives us everything we need pertaining to good life and godliness. But that is not the main thing. The main thing is to know Jesus. Have him as Lord and Savior. Take the life that he gives because you recognize that on your own you cannot live this life. You are struggling with besetting sins. You are doing all manner of things to save yourself and you cannot unless you put everything and surrender at the foot of the cross and say that, Lord, on my own, I cannot. Only you can. Take this and give me your life. Because it says that you, you put on Christ. And that is what Galatians 3, 27 says. It says when you are baptized in Christ, you put on Christ as what? As garments. It's like a designer clothing. Right? That analogy. Everybody sees what you are wearing. Christ must be seen. So when you are, it's an exchange. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we will obtain the righteousness of Christ. In fact, when you come to faith in Christ, the battle lines have been drawn. When you belong to the, 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 the devil, you are not his business. It is when you have been redeemed into God's marvelous light that the battle will be drawn. Now, this is where your faith will be tested. This is where the devil will tempt you. This is where you begin to grow. And so when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, actually that is what you are doing. You are saying that, be Lord over my life. What you tell me to do, I am prepared to do it. I am prepared to take on your life. I am prepared to walk the path that you walked. 
That is the heart of God. Not the sins that he gives. It's a bonus. It's a given. And even not all of us will have those things. But you see, the thing he gives us as believers is his peace. And the fact that he goes through the situation with us. When you are going through suffering, that is where God is much closer to you. But sometimes it seems God is silent. And we ask all manner of questions. But from hindsight, you realize that your faith grows, is renewed, is stretched. But you know that even if he does not come through for me, I am not prepared to bow down. It is only those who have surrendered to Christ totally that can make that statement. No one who is a partial Christian, lukewarm attitude. That you can't say that because when they bring the furnace... And, and you even the heat alone, you will deny the master. You won't even get in there. You will deny him because in your heart, he's not set apart as Lord. And that is the reason why we cannot shine forth the light of the gospel. You don't have him. He is not working in you. He's not transforming you. You cannot. So when people are asking you questions about your faith, you cannot say anything. Even your life in itself is not a testimony. You can deny everything I can say about Christ and the Bible. But my life, you cannot deny. It's an experience I've had and you cannot change it. And no one would disrespect you for that. And, and I, won't, I won't read the passage there, but look at the account in John chapter 9. The man born blind. It's amazing. Disciples start asking Jesus, did he sin? He says, no. Was it his mother who sinned or his father? He said, none of them. But that the glory of the Lord will be seen. And he heals this man. And then becomes the subject of discussion. They invite their parents. They were afraid that if they, they defend their son, they will be thrown out of the synagogue. So they say, he's of age. Let him speak for himself. He tells them everything about his, his experience. And they are still insisting. He says, what, what amazes me with that dialogue is that he says, My son, give glory to God. In other words, as if he's telling the, the lies. And he says, Do you want to be his disciples too? He said, Far be it from us. How dare you call us his disciples? We are disciples of Moses. And they threw him out. Then Jesus comes to him. You see, he had had the miracle. Now he has to know that it is not the miracle, but Christ. So he comes to him. And he says that, do you know how this thing happened? Do you know the person who did this? He says, tell me who he is that I may believe in him. He says, I am the one. And he surrenders to Christ. It is very important. You see, the coming to the saving knowledge of Christ, miracles open the door. But it does not end there. And many of us have come to Christ for various reasons. He healed us. But the healing was just the door. You had to have Christ because he has the healing power and he's given it as gift. It's a gift. It is not the monopoly of any special child of God. Anyone who desires it, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, following, will be given. And he gives to anyone who desires. It's a gift for his children. But it opens the door. In fact, miracles are not for us who have believed. It's for the unbeliever. Because when they, when they see it happen, people believe. 
And when you take time to read Acts, you will see it. All the miracles that happened opened the door to the gospel. And they always pointed the people to Christ, not to the miracle. Let us begin to reorient our minds if we are supposed to shine our light. I don't know what you heard that brought you to faith. But if it's just for the miracle or the prosperity, those things are blessings God gives. His heart is what you should seek. That is the most important thing. That is the most important thing. But not only that. In fact, when we read the gospel, John chapter 3, verse 16 to 21, I just would want to pick on a few passages. If you read the verse 17, it says that whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Anybody who encounters Jesus. In Mark chapter 7, there's a beautiful passage about a centurion whose servant was sick. And he calls Jesus. And, and the Pharisees tell him that he is worthy of you. But Jesus did not even reach his house when the man sent to be, for Jesus to say that don't come to my house for I am unworthy. Many of us think we are worthy of Christ. You are joking. Continue to have that thought. You'll be very disappointed. You are not worthy of Christ. It doesn't matter your status. The same blood that saved the poor man is the same blood that saved the rich man. Is the same blood that saved the middle income person. Is the same blood for all. You can't grade the blood of Christ. It's the same. But the next thing that prevents us from shining forth our light is worldliness. Many of us have come to Christ, but we are still holding on to the world. We have left Egypt, but we are remembering the cucumbers and the garlic and the things that we used to enjoy. And indeed, some of us have already gone back to Egypt. Worldliness. You see, you cannot shine forth the light of the gospel because when your unbelieving friends compare their lives to yours, there is no distinction. It's the same. The value is the same. Many of you are chameleon Christians. You adapt to the situations. You don't even want to, you are ashamed to be called Christian. You don't want to associate with believers. Sunday ends and you are done. The moment you enter your workplace, the moment you go to your schools, you don't want to be known as a crave. You know? You are on your own. You adapt. And I tell you what, chameleon Christianity does not save. It says you are the light. Light is there for all to be seen. It's not to be hidden. So when you are adapting to the situations, the temperatures of whatever is happening in your circumstance, in your workplace, you are a joker. You are not a Christian. Because when the light begins to shine, everybody will see it. Definitely there will be opposition. If 
You are not going through any form of persecution of a kind as a child of God for standing up for the right things. You begin to examine your Christianity. Because the things, the values you are called upon to uphold. In fact, when you examine what he begins to talk about in Matthew chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7, no believer on their own can live that kind of life. Because he always set the bar higher. From that passage, from the chapter 5 to the end of chapter 7, the bar is raised higher. It is not a life that anyone can live. It's a life enabled by the Spirit of God. You cannot. You cannot. You see, the gospel is not motivational speaking. It is not good advice. The gospel is not motivational speaking. Otherwise, many, many of you should have been transformed by now. If it were motivational, because there are many who are good, skilled, eloquent, persuasive, but it does not save. It is not good advice. Otherwise, your parents have told you many. You yourself, your experiences in life has taught you a lot. And yet, you have not been transformed. It is not good advice. That is not the gospel. And many of us are still holding to the world. You see, the Bible makes it clear that friendship with the world is enmity with God. You cannot serve two masters. Our speech, our conduct, our fashion, everything does not show that there has been a transformation. They look at you. You say you are a Christian. And some of them in their heart, they are saying, is this who a Christian is? In fact, they are confused. Because they don't know who a Christian looks like. It's not shown in your manner of life. They are cutting corners, you are cutting corners. They are lying, you are lying. You know, they are jealous, you are jealous. They are envious, you are envious. There is no distinction. There is no distinction. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says that, let your good conduct be evident such that when you are slandered, they will see your good behavior and give glory to God. When you are slandered, they will see your good. So definitely you'll be slandered for the things that you do. When you stand for values that are countercultural, I mean, everybody sees you as insane. A friend of mine, they were involved in a project and they finished the project and they were given certain monies as stipends on the field and all that. But they didn't spend everything and came back. And she accounted for whatever was remaining and presented, not knowing every other person, the group leaders in the other team, did not present it. And she presenting the right account and returning some money into the chest was like, you are silly. You can't do this. And so it became a confrontation between her and the boss that no one has presented anything. You can't present this. Find a way of disbursing this money. And she says, I cannot do that. I have to return it. She had to battle with it for some time. And then she says that. Her final conclusion was that I am the group leader and I have resolved that this money, this is what is remaining of it. And I have returned it. You are the head. Choose to do whatever you want to do with it. But me, I am done. I have finished my work and this is the account that I am rendering. It is not, and some of these things can affect your promotion. It is not because... Because you have stood for something, but indeed it's a witness. 
That same boss, when they are looking for someone who is honest, they cannot pass you by. Because they know that you have uncompromising values and you can always be trusted. You can always be trusted because the moment you compromise once, that is it. You cannot stand again. In James chapter 4, verse 4, this is what the scripture says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 16, this is how the NLT put it. Do you not, it says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only cravings of physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see. I mean, when you look at the other versions, it says the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The NLT says a craving for the things we see. And pride in every achievement and possessions. The pride of life. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people have, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. G.K. Chesterton says that Christianity is old-fashioned because it is sane. Every other fashion that the world has presented has mild insanities. And it is true. I can tell, I mean, I'm not that old, but at least there was a time when, when you saw people wearing certain kind of clothes and they are tattered, you knew that something was not right. But today it's a fashion. Mild insanity. I don't want to go into your wardrobes. Our friends are doing it, our friends in the world are doing it, we are doing it. There is no distinction. Absolutely no distinction. Christianity is in the heart. It's not about what you wear. But what is in the heart is expressed outside. And we say these things. It's a matter of the heart. Oh, yes. There are people who would come and join us from various circumstances. But once they have come to faith, we must show them how the Christian life ought to be lived. It is our responsibility. In fact, in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, the scriptures warn us, for those of us who are ashamed of Christ, this is what he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my word in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him would the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May the Lord forbid that we will be denied by Christ. He says, I don't know you, and it will happen. In fact, if there is nothing that warns you about that, Matthew 25, verse 30, should be a pointer to you. When you read the 30 following, the goats and the sheep, says, I do not know you. But you see, every believer, every child of God has been called to show Christian charity. It is when we are doing that, that also our light is shown for others to see. Sometimes you show people kindness and they ask you, which church do you attend? You didn't mention your church. You didn't tell them, but they just ask you. It is a witness. Because there is something that is happening in their lives. But you see, 
we fail to shine for the light of Christ because we ignore to show kindness to others or to show Christian charity towards others. Many of us don't extend a helping hand to anyone. We don't show kindness to anyone. The beauty of Jesus Christ is not seen in, in anything we do, in our giving. But James says something. James chapter 1 verse 27. He says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There are many opportunities. It doesn't have to be huge. But there are many opportunities to be a witness to someone. To share. To give. To demonstrate the love of Christ. I mean, here in this church, I've witnessed that you take monies for missions and other things. And I believe it is not just the word of God that is preached. But also, I believe you make some donations. You give to people Christian charity. It is also a witness. Sometimes that in itself opens the door for the gospel to be shared. Recently we were on a mission in the, in the Bunu East and we did a medical mission at Ejura in the Ashanti region and went back. And some of the places we went to were Muslim communities. And it would have been difficult for us to share the gospel but for the medical mission. So you come, you are screened, the doctors are there, they look at what is wrong with you, and they will do some prescriptions and all that, and medicines are available for the people. But afterwards, the last place you go to is to come through us. We are doing counseling, but actually our counseling is sharing the gospel. So they come and we share the gospel with them. At least four people from my end who are Muslims gave their life to Christ. I with me. It is Christian charity. Now, they are prepared to listen to me. If I had gone just into the neighborhoods to just preach, it would have yielded some results. I wouldn't have even seen them. Or probably my impact would have been very little. But many of them came. But when we preached the general preaching of the gospel and we asked many of them to, we asked that they should stand, those who want to give their life to Christ, you'd be shocked how many of them stood up. Now we wanted to know the meaning of what the decision that they have made. And it's interesting how many of these people opened up their lives to share, for you to share the word of God with them. Christian charity. The light of Christ is seen evident in that. The final reason why we are not able to share or shine the light of Christ for all to see is that There is lack of Christ-like discipleship or Christ-like models. Many of us young people have no Christ-like models. We have not been discipled, first of all. So we don't even know what it means to be a Christian. You see, when you have come to faith in Christ, it's not enough. Discipleship is the basic curriculum for every child of God. Because there... You build convictions. Your faith is deepened. You begin to learn about Christ, His person, His humanity, the Holy Spirit. 
you know what it means to be saved. Not only that, you are assured of your, of your faith. Assurance of salvation, assurance of answered prayer, assurance of victory over sin and temptation and the world, assurance, you know, in every aspect of your Christian life. But not only that, you are taken through how to live your life as a Christian. And each of those things, and you see, the person who is discipling you is someone who is imitating Christ himself. And they are sharing their experiences. Their ups and downs in their Christian journey. The Christian journey is not, you know, straight. There are ups and downs. If you plot it on a graph, you will see that there are ups and downs. But at least there is a progression. And they are sharing with you how they overcame their testimony, their temptations and all that. They are telling you that, look. And, and you realize that every temptation, every sin you are struggling with is common to man. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. It is common to man. Oh, you, you think you are only the one, the person who is only suffering? <laughs> you are joking. You see, when you kneel to pray, you have knelt to pray. And you are before a holy God. But you still have impure thoughts. But you are before a holy God. And that thought will come. It is common to man. You see, you cannot prevent the bird, a bird from flying over your head. But at least you can prevent it from making a nest on your head. Are you with me? It is common. And he says that, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. So that you can stand up under it. In James chapter 1, he says that no one should think that God tempts anyone. God does not tempt anyone. It is our own evil desires that tempt us. And it is discipleship that you begin to... It's iron, sharpen iron. The rough edges of your faith begins to smoothen with other believers. You begin to know that, oh, I'm not the only one suffering. And others are standing with you in prayer. Others are standing with you in prayer. You begin to see how the Christian life ought to be lived. And you are trusting God for redemption. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 15, Jesus says, And he went up on the mountaintop and called those whom he desired. This is Jesus going to choose people to disciple. He called many people he desired. But out of that, he chose 12 and called them apostles. And this is the reason why, the purpose. He says, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Look, if you are a believer and you don't know how to do spiritual warfare, and I'm glad that there is a preacher coming to deal with those things, and you should take advantage of it. Our, the, the, the enemy we are wrestling with is not flesh and blood. According to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It is in discipleship that you will be taught spiritual warfare. Because others will do it for you to see. And you'll be given up. As you practice, the Lord gives the grace. In Luke chapter 6 verse 40, he says that a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, would be like his teacher. The only way to become like Christ is through discipleship. That is the reason why he gave the command in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. The first thing he says is that 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You can't be a disciple of Christ going out there to witness to people without being empowered. And so the first assurance it gives is that I have the authority and I'm giving you that authority and you are going in that strength. Then he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples are made. They are not born. If you find anyone who is living the Christian life, someone took time to disciple them. You see, there are various levels of discipleship. And scripture union, for example, gives a platform of discipleship in our schools. And many of us have been through that system. I've been through SU camps. I myself, when I converted, the people who really trained me where I learned to do my quiet time, read, and started also doing the things they were doing, going to schools to share the gospel, was a scripture union. I didn't know it was even discipleship. It took me coming to do my, read my postgrad in Legon to begin to, un- to understand that all that, all that process was discipleship. I didn't know that. And I'd been a believer 10 years before coming to that realization of what discipleship even entails and what it is. And, you know, there have been many bad sermons that we have preached as student leaders. <laughs> and sometimes, when you are reoriented and you notice the kind of heresies that you have spewed out there, you regret for it. But you cannot go and retract them. It's gone. Someone is running with it. But you see, God is merciful. Even through our ignorance, He still saves But we cannot continue to be ignorant. What I knew back then, through discipleship, has improved. My faith has been built. I am convinced beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus is real and he is Lord. He is both God and man. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. There are difficult passages in scriptures I do not understand. And I don't claim to have all answers. But what I know is enough. To keep me going. Because I am convinced that he is real. So when we are trained, and you see the goal of discipleship is to present us blameless before Christ. In fact, in first in Colossians chapter one, verse twenty eight and twenty nine, this is what he says We him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Even the ability to do this is not on his own. It's Christ who gives that divine enablement to do it. So beloved, the truth about light is that it cannot be hidden. It must be displayed for all to see. People must be attracted to it. It's like, you are like a lighthouse on a hill. There is a ship that must come to harbor. But the storms of life is making it go far afield on the waves. 
But there is a light that must beam for the captain of the ship to realize that, look, that is the harbor and I must draw near. There is a beautiful hymn that, that, that gives us that analogy. It says, brightly beams our Father's mercy. He said, let the lower light be burning. Send the gleam across the wave. Some poor, faint, struggling seaman, he may rescue, he may save. It's a beautiful hymn. Telling us that our light must shine. Those that are struggling a far field must be drawn to it, must be attracted to it. There is a beauty in Christ. It is magnetic. It is attractive. He was a simple man. And yet, when he stood, there was something about him that they could not resist. Even Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with this man. I cannot condemn him. He says, are you king of the Jews? He says, you say that I am. He says, I cannot convict him. I cannot. But you see, because of man, because of position, because of his political ambitions, he had to give Christ. And he told him, you cannot do anything to me unless you have been permitted to. And at that time, the permission has been given to him. Beloved, the truth is that light cannot be hidden. And this is emphatic. Christ says that we are on a hill. We are displayed. Everyone sees. So he uses the hill. He uses the bush. You cannot light a lamp and hide it under a basket. It will, not, it will not happen. It has to be made evident. How then must we shine our light in the darkness for all to see? And indeed, you see, one of the things that the Ephesians passage highlights about what we have been rescued from. When you look at Ephesians 5, 8. It says that for at one time you were darkness. That is what we were. We were darkness. But now you are a light. You are light in the Lord. Then he says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. And he lists them. But instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise. From the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Examine your spiritual life. In the context of this passage. But most importantly also look at Romans chapter 13. Verse 12 to 14. Are you still involved in these acts? He says the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor. I like the way he, he frames it. It's an armor that you must put on. Walk properly 
as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Many of us young people, actually when you look at it in another version, in the NLT, it says, wild parties. Many of us young people love drink cups. You know, we are going for a drink cup, a birthday drink cup, whatever, and you will go. And you come back crying that God has disappointed you. God does not disappoint anyone. You knew what kind of party you were going to. You knew what was going to happen. In fact, they have defined the dress code for you. And you knew. And when you were leaving the house, the Spirit of God, because you were a child of God, kept warning you, don't go. But you disobeyed. And sometimes we want God to seize our will. He will not seize your will. That's the reason why we are not robots. He will not seize your will. And then you go. And then you mess up. And you say, God has disappointed me. You are a joker. God has not disappointed. You have disappointed God. Because he gave you the red light from the beginning. When you were going, he still warned you. He was warning you. Everything was pointing to the fact that don't go. But you went. And now you claim God has disappointed you. He has not. The result of your disobedience is what you have reaped. But he says, if we are children of light, then we should not be involved in these things. And sometimes, even we are Christians, and and we love to do these things, so we want to give it a Christian name. Christian something. (laughs) Christian. the The main thing is add Christian. You know, Christian, and we are all into it. Christian, and, and the world is even wiser than us. Because they know when they give it a Christian tag, we will go. But we don't even bother to examine it. And it says, Depart from the works of darkness, or do not participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, or sexual promiscuity, and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Practically, how can we do this? Beloved, the first thing is that if I take this as a template, and I even take Galatians chapter 5, Beginning from verse 21. He lists so many things. I use it as a template, as a yastic, to measure my Christian life. And I'm still struggling with those things. I didn't even understand what it meant to be a Christian in the first place. Then you need Jesus. You need to confess him as Lord and Savior. You see, some of us, we are Christians, but Jesus is not the only master. Other things are our masters. We belong to so many things. You know, Jesus and something else. But if he is Lord, he is Lord alone. He does not share his glory with any other thing. With any other thing. In fact, when you are baptized, you are proclaiming publicly what has happened inward. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Baptism is a public declaration of that transformation that has taken place. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 3 says that 
Do you not know? He says, must we continue to sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. For don't you know that when you were baptized in Christ, you were baptized in his death. You die to the Adamic nature. That is the old man of sin. He's buried. And when you are lifted up, you are risen to newness of life in Christ Jesus. And so, baptism is a public declaration of an inward experience that has taken place. And a pledge of good conscience before God. And that old man must be buried. You, know, you see, spiritually, that, was, that is what has taken place the day you gave your life to Christ. So you have been sanctified. And Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you. But in your sanctification, as long as you live in this world, you will need to be transformed by it. And so, temptations will come. Trials will come your way. The things that, and it is not a life that you can easily overcome unless you surrender to Jesus. Many of us have not surrendered to Christ. I think the last time I, I was here, I shared a joke. I said that there is a joke about a person who was seen, who saw the devil, and the devil was crying bitterly. And he says, why are you crying? And he says, many of my people have left to follow Jesus. And he says, that is good. He says, no, no, no. They have left to follow Jesus, but they are still carrying my tools. Many of us have come to Christ, but we are carrying the tools of the devil. He has something in us. So anytime he comes with any kind of temptation, we are defeated. There is something of his that you have not surrendered to Christ. No good advice would, would, would resolve that. No motivational speaking will resolve that. And it is not about obedience to laws, do's and don'ts. It will not resolve it. It is recognizing that you cannot do it and Jesus can. And leaving it to him to deal with it. And how do you practically do that? You need to constantly cast yourself on his grace. That is practical Christian living. You confess it to him, God, I have a problem with lies. I have resolved and I know you have saved me from it. In fact, you have said that anyone who is lying or who lies, his father is the devil and I don't belong to him because you have saved me. Lord, today, give me victory. Let me speak truth about any situation that comes to my life because you are able to do it. I trust that you will do it. Take me through it. You'll be shocked. God will give you the grace. But the amazing thing is that, you see, the day you begin to pray such prayers, it is that day that you'll be most tempted. Any serious Christian who is serious with their life and pleasing God will testify to this. It will come at every front. But you need to remind yourself, I'm a child of God. I will not lie. The devil is not my father. Jesus. You see, Jesus can make the bold statement and say, the God of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. Many of us, he has something in us. We have, we have his tools. And the reason is that we have not surrendered to Christ fully. And partial surrender is not surrender. If he's Lord, he's Lord of all. He's not Lord of some. He is Lord of all. And you can only shine the light of Christ. If you cast yourself on this grace. In fact, in Lamentations chapter 3, 
verse 22 to 23. In the NIV it says that because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. The grace of God is new every morning. There is freshness from God. The steadfast love of the Lord never cease. They are new every morning. Grace is given for every trial, for every temptation, every day, every hour, every minute, every second. Unless you are willing to surrender this to Him, whatever you are struggling with. You see, until you make that decision, it's a hard decision. Until you make that decision, agreeing with God and agreeing with the Holy Spirit, to work that through you, you will never bear any fruit that will honor God. You will never bear fruit. Because that life is a life that is enabled by the Spirit of God. Because in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 down, he tells us, you cannot live that life unless he has divinely enabled you. He says, I will take you from the nations. I'm reading from the verse 24. Ezekiel 26, verse 24 to 27. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all idols and I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will move, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey me. If the Holy Spirit is not doing that in your life, forget it. Because the standard of Christ is not obedience to the Lord. That's the reason why he fulfilled it. Totally. It is not motivational speaking. It is not good advice. It is a life of total surrender. Everything to Christ. Everything. And daily depending on Him for the grace. And as you continue to ask Him for the grace to overcome the things that beset you all the time, it becomes your default position. It becomes natural to you such that you don't even realize when those things left you. It's only after some time that you begin to see that once upon a time, if it were in my old days, I would have dealt with I'm even surprised that I didn't do anything to this guy. Yes, transformation has taken place. You yourself can testify that something has changed. The transformation was so evident in Paul's life to the extent that when he converted, even the believers were shocked. Say, was he not the one who was arresting us and sending us, killing us? And they were even afraid to associate with him. But when they saw the move of God in his life, they extended the right hand of fellowship and blessed him to continue. There has to be a change. But the next point about being able to shine our light is being prepared as children of God to go through discipleship. It is extremely important. It is that which the Lord called us to do. You see, many people or many churches are not doing that. Because it is life upon life. You cannot give. You see, this, this discipleship is self-disclosure. 
Your weaknesses are known by the people you are discipling. They know that you two are, you are not superhuman. You are, blood flows through you. Your blood is not green. It's red. Just like mine. You also have faced temptation before. And you are still being tempted. Because, and many people feel uncomfortable about that. <laughs> but Jesus exposed himself. In the garden of Gethsemane. You see, he had the twelve. But among the twelve, he had the three. It is the three that he took on the mountain of transfiguration and revealed his glory to them. He told them, don't talk about it. But afterwards, he gave them permission to talk about it. But in his closet, in the garden of Gethsemane, they knew what happened. And even they could not wait in prayer with him. They knew the weakness that the Lord was going through us. Because he has taken on the nature of man. And because of what he was going to go through, they knew, they understood his weakness. They saw him cry. In John chapter 11, when Lazarus died and Mary came, when he saw Mary, we are told that he was moved and Jesus wept. That is some people's favorite passage. But that is his humanity. He wept. He wept. He did everything with the disciples. It's a life of self-disclosure. And you see, discipleship is also about imitating Christ. So Paul can say that, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. If you are not imitating Christ, you cannot pass it on. You cannot disciple anyone. You cannot. And so many of us are not doing it. But what the Lord said, which is a command, which we have ignored for a long time, was not to win souls. He says, make disciples. Because they are not born. He called the twelve and discipled them to do the things that he was. And so their lives, they can see Christ in them. And each one of us, you see, it's in discipleship that you deepen faith. You build conviction. You ask questions. And you are answered. And then your faith is being deepened. You are being prayed for. Someone is standing with you in the things that you are struggling you know, and you build faith. Until we do that, we cannot stand before our unbelieving friends who question us about our faith. We cannot. My beloved in Christ, this Christian journey is a life of partnership. Partnership with the Holy Spirit. You need Him. That is the reason why Jesus gave Him to us. The victorious Christian life is a total dependence on the Holy Spirit. He will direct you what to do. He will teach you. He will give you what to say. He's a teacher. He will cause you to remember. He will cause you to remember. You can only shine for the light of Christ when you yield to the Holy Spirit. Without Him, you cannot. In fact, in John chapter 15, verse 5, He says that I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that best much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. You cannot. It's a life of total dependence. And indeed, the fruit of the Spirit. No one can bear it unless the Holy Spirit is in you. You cannot be patient, I'm telling you. You would not be patient unless the Holy Spirit begins to work on that. 
And he will bring things your way to cause you to be patient. Situations that you know. This is terrible. I can't stand this. He will work that in you to make you patient. And he will continue to do that until... And it will continue until Christ comes. Because our sanctification will not end until we see Christ. How do I know that? 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to 3 says that, See what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. And that is what we are. He says, what we will become, we do not know. But what we do know is that when Christ appears, we will be like him. The verse 3 says that anyone who has this hope purifies themselves. It's a life of constant purification. And it's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies. It's Jesus Christ who justifies. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. God is the creator. Jesus is the redeemer. He justifies us before God. God sees us just as if we have not sinned. Because of his righteousness. You are not righteous. It's the righteousness of Christ which he has given you. And so God sees you and he sees Christ. And that is the reason why you must live a life of holiness. And the Holy Spirit will continue to sanctify you to become what the Lord desires. Galatians 5, 22-23 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> Against such, there is no law. No believer can claim to have attained all of this in full measure. You might be good in some areas, but not, and sometimes it fails you, you know. But when you depend on God daily, He gives the grace to bear them. Beloved, I don't know how far you have come in your Christian faith, but it would be a pity to live here without knowing Jesus. You can't shine the light in this dark world if you don't know Him, if you don't have any relationship with him Romans chapter 3 verse 23 makes it clear it says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the due penalty for that according to Romans chapter 6 verse 23 it says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus then he goes on to say you cannot save yourself. God does not require you to be sinless. Just as you are. If you are prepared to come, He is willing to save. But He doesn't want you to go back into that life. And so in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that this is how God demonstrates His love towards us. That whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It did not require you to be sinless. Because you cannot become sinless. So he died. So that you can come just as you are. On his merit. Not on your merit. On his terms. Not on your terms. Because he has the power to break every counsel. Every sin in your life. Because in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 14. He says that he has blotted out the handwritten code of accusation against us. Having disarmed the powers of darkness, he made what? A public spectacle of them. That is the victory he has won for us. It's on his merit. 
But you can only come to faith in him by believing that indeed he died. He was buried. But he rose up again for our victory. Because without that, there is no forgiveness of sin. And we have no hope of redemption. Therefore, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. For it's with the heart that we believe and are justified and with the mouth that we confess and are saved. Beloved, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Are you willing to give your life to Christ? Are you willing to begin afresh? To surrender totally and allow him to be Lord? Allow him to let his light shine through your life. So that the beauty of Jesus will be seen in every facet of your life. If you are willing to do that, I want us to pray. If you want to surrender your life to Christ, you want to give your life to Him. So that you'll be a faithful witness. Your life will begin to show for the light. When people come close to you, they will see Christ. They will experience Him. They will know who He is. I do not want you to live here without that knowledge. But that is if you are willing. And your heart is ready. If you are willing and your heart is ready, Jesus is here to save. If you are ready to make that decision, I want you to pray. Wherever you are, wherever you are sitting. Pray asking the Lord. I don't know what you have been struggling with. But bring it to Him. Tell Him as it is. Ask Him to forgive you. Truly repent of them. He is willing to forgive. He is ready to forgive. Confess everything to Him. What you know that only He knows. Bring it before Him. Tell Him. And He is willing and ready to save. I want you to pray haven't confessed your sins you want to ask him to come into your life be lord and master ask him to come he is willing and ready ever ready ask him to come in Take total control over your life. Ask him to break every chance. Let his light dispel anything that competes with his attention in your life. Ask him to deal with it. In the name of Jesus. 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 Spirit of the living God. You have authority over every dominion. Over every rulership of darkness. 
Lord, take absolute control. Break every demonic stronghold in the name of Jesus. Whoever you set free, you set free indeed. May every besetting sin that has plagued your people, that manifests in the form of sickness, that manifests in the form of impure thoughts, that manifests in the form of suicidal thoughts, that makes them feel unworthy, right now, in the name of Jesus, break your hold in the name of Jesus. If there is anyone who has committed their life to Christ, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Just stand wherever you are. And let me pray with you. If there is anyone, don't be, don't be shy about any person. It's an individual affair. When God is judging, He judges independently. He judges individuals. He doesn't judge any group. What people think about you does not matter before God. What matters is that you are standing before a holy God. And he says that let us approach the throne of God with boldness so that we will find grace. We will obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. I want you to stand wherever you are. I'm praying with you as you have given your life to Christ. Father, today these people have made a bold declaration and affirmation of faith in you. I ask for the feeling of your Holy Spirit right now in their lives. Break every yoke in the name of Jesus may every power of darkness that held them captive to sin be broken in the name of Jesus Lord your word says that whoever you set free is free indeed right now may the chains that the enemy held them captive with chains of besetting sins addictions of all kinds be broken in the name of Jesus Every appetite and desire for sin. Break in the name of Jesus. Every stronghold of the enemy. Break in the name of Jesus. Break in the name of Jesus. Lord set them free. Lord renew their mind and their hearts. Let the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Be imparted to them. Receive the gifts. Of the Spirit of God. He gave word of knowledge. He gave word of wisdom. He gave discerning of spirits. He gave speaking of diverse tongues and interpretation of tongues. He gave prophetic tongues. He gave the gifts of prophecy. He gave faith and working of miracles. Lord, let your giftings be imparted. Those who have called to be teachers, pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles. Lord, let those giftings which you gave the church be made manifested in the name of Jesus. May every stronghold be broken. May you fill them to overflowing. Be filled to overflowing. In the name of Jesus, be filled to overflowing. Be filled to overflowing. Be filled to overflowing. Be filled to overflowing. In the name of Jesus. Grant the divine enablement. To walk the Christian life victoriously. In the name of Jesus. Victorious Christian living. Is given by the spirit of God. Lord let your seal. Be upon your people. Mark them for the day of redemption. In the name of Jesus. 
In the name of Jesus. Marabadoski anti mili imoskara bahadoski andabaha. Limandi lika aroski anti mili imoskabaha. Likarabaoski andi mili ikoza matabaha. Limondi lima ariska matorabaha. In the name of Jesus. Now for all of us, I want us to rise up. Pray that God will renew you. God will give you that heart. God will purify you in the name of Jesus. Any struggles you are having in your Christian life, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you find yourself, you are asking that God, you are praying in places that you knew that you were supposed to shine for the light of the gospel to see, to be seen as a witness. And you fail to do that. You are asking God for forgiveness. And asking him for a second chance. A renewal. A pageant of your heart. In the name of Jesus. Lord we are sorry. In ways that we did not. Let our lives be a witness. For you. In ways that we failed oh God. To live in accordance with your will. Things in our lives. That are a barrier to the gospel and the move of God in this church. Father, may you purge us from it. May the fire of the Holy Spirit come. Burn away every chaff. Burn away every chaff. Burn away every chaff. Burn away every chaff. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, purify. Purge us, O Lord. Purge our conscience. Remove every guilt. May anything that causes us not to shine in the name of Jesus. You want to put your hand on your heart? Ask God that Lord renew me. Renew my mind. Renew my thoughts. In the name of Jesus. I totally surrender to you. In the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is purging. The Holy Spirit is purging. He's purging your conscience. He's renewing. He's renewing. He's renewing. If only you are willing and totally surrendering. If you will allow Him. If you will stop resisting Him. He will move. He will move. Lord, I pray. Take away the yoke of the enemy. In the name of Jesus. Purify. My heart, let it be as gold, precious silver, purify my heart, let it be as gold, pure gold, refined. Is to be oh holy, set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy, set apart for you. 
master ready to do your will. Do you mean it? Do you mean it? I choose to be oh, holy. Holy God, work on us. Work on us, Lord. Purify us. Purge us, O oh God, from anything that does not please you. In the name of Jesus. Holy. Set apart for you, my master. Ready to do your 